This is a crowd podcast. Who was the shortest heavyweight champion in history? Come one two sparring Ukraine, Alexander Rusik. Humans just long for something real. So the first time I ever put on a pair of gloves, I was 20 years old. Do you sparring some of the best guys in the world? Proper serious business now. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck. Good morning, George. How are you? I'm really good, thanks, Deck. We've had a big week on the GG Boxing Club big podcast. Week for the club. Yeah, so we had to get in the big gun. Mr. Carl Frotchy's come on. He gave us some terrific sound bites. He gave us a great billing for the for the new podcast. And yeah, we've took the podcast to a new level, I believe, Deck. I reckon uh, so. Thank you to to Carl and thank you to the listeners and mm. I hope they enjoyed because um, recently it's been an emotional week for me as well. Like, I suppose when I think about it because uh, we've concluded the the Frotch Grove season two tour. Yeah, so that's it. I won't see Carl now for Christmas. So I'm glad we got a little. Oh, is he not coming around for, for Christmas dinner? I don't think so. I don't think so. If anything, we'll go to his house because he's got. He must have. He got. I reckon he's got a ranch up in uh, Nottingham. Yeah, you know the sheriff in Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's been a good big week, and you came up with a good idea to celebrate, didn't you? Well, yes, yes. Um, if I, when me and Cole together, they want to have a picture with us and they want us to sign something. So I was like, well, pictures together might be a bit difficult for a competition winner, but definitely we can send them something. So I got my little glove out. said, Cole, sign that. It's going out. He said, yes. Love signing stuff. He's got a nice little neat signature. And um, yeah, we were, I thought, I know what we do. Any of the, the genuine listeners, any of the genuine club members who have listened and, and found something, a little little nugget of something that they thought was hilarious or informative or whatever their favourite part was of the podcast, send it to us in the comments and be in with a chance of winning this signed glove. Mm. They've been flying in as well already. They have. Well, yes. George, when have they got until to get these uh to get these answers in? You've got until Sunday. Anything after Sunday though is not in the hat, is it? You got till Sunday. Get it in before Sunday and then you're in the hat for the draw for the glove. Yes. And we'll post it to you. I'll give you a little flavour. Go on. G Wilson twenty eight. He said, not gonna complain. He done me a right favour. And that was Carl when he was talking about Howard Foster stopping the fight. I like that. And that was after 28-26. So don't nick that. G. Wilson got there first with that. Don't read the comments and comment <laughs> and copy the comments without listening to yeah, the Yeah, give me a fa- give us your actual favourite one. Yeah, and don't give us a quote from the snippet that we've put out online, even though they might be the best bits because that's why we've snipped them out. <laughs> but if it's him talking about Jake Paul or him talking about rendering me unconscious... You might win, but you might not. We've had a load more comments coming in and keep them coming in on the socials. We see them all on Instagram and Twitter. And also, if you listen to us on Apple, get reviewing. I've got a good one here from Scrimmers. He gave us five stars. He said the two-part interview between George and Carl Froch is the best boxing interview and one of the best sports interviews I've ever listened to. Incredible honesty about how each fighter was feeling for each fight. Uh, The tactics employed to get under each other's skin and how they tried to get that edge is all just fascinating. The entire interview is conducted with such honesty and humour. I've never listened to a more enjoyable boxing podcast. Now, Scrimmers says, I was privileged to be at Wembley that night, along with 80,000 others. And this interview brought things flooding back. We love a review. We love a five-star rating. Keep your ones. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want to hear about the ones. Ones you can send in an email... (laughs) 
to uh, to Ross. Keep yeah, pack. keep him off iTunes, Jesus. Yeah, but yeah, not near. Yeah. Don't be that guy. No. Don't be that girl. I tell you what, be the guy or girl though that wins the glove. Yes. Send us. You've got a few days left. If you want to win that, get it in. So follow these steps. One, follow GG Boxing Club. Two, comment with your favorite quote from the episode and the time code. And three, share to your story. And then you're in the you're in the hat. I think I, I think that's fair. Okay, I think that's fair as well. Um, George, you know we've got a new person joining the club today officially. Do you know who it is? I do know who it is. Yeah, go on, who is it? Luckily enough, yeah. I do. Drop, shall I give it away? I think you should do the big reveal. Well, it is heavyweight contender, Ooh. Fabio Wardley. <sighs> He's coming in to talk about his transition from white collar boxing to now professional fighter to now prospect, serious yeah. prospect ahead of his British title clash that's taking place. Mm, he could go and win the Lord Lonsdale belt like you did. Yes. What a lovely belt it is. It is a lovely belt. Should we get him in and ask him about white collar boxing from white collar belts to Lord Lonsdale belts? Definitely get him in. We want to hear it. Right, today we have our first British heavyweight in the club deck. I didn't realise that. From white collar background to potentially world champion. Hailing all the way out of Ipswich is of course the unbeaten Fabio Wardley. Welcome Fabio, thanks for coming in mate, thanks for joining the club. Thanks for having me, pleasure to be here, I'm looking forward to it, it should be fun. But you started in white collar boxing, is that mm, right, yeah? Yeah. So how'd that come about? <laughs> Random, well I say randomly, so um, as a kid I was in a, um, I was a bit of an unruly kid, bit of a naughty kid, and I was in a like a, it was called Positive Futures basically, it was a programme for kids to keep them out of trouble basically, like out of school hours. Sometimes they take you out of school and stuff for you being disruptive, things like that. My current coach and the coach I started with, Robert Hodgins, he was one of the mentors on that um, on that particular program. So as a kid growing up, I was in and out of that program. We do other little sports, things like football and other bits and bobs. But I always, he'd always speak to me loads about boxing and where he trained and what he did and he's, him coaching and things like that. Um, but as a kid anyways, it never really bothered me. I was pretty heavy into football and stuff. So I played football at a decent level for a little while. And then I rolled both my ankles pretty badly, so I just couldn't do it anymore, basically. But I'd always been interested in, like, just training in general, just going to the gym, lifting weights, cardio, bits and bobs. And so the sport I was doing for to kind of get my competitive kick, whatever, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I was kind of sitting there just thinking, oh, I fancy doing something else. Like, I need to, I need something. I can't just sit around doing nothing. I'm a bit of a twitchy person. Like, I need to be, I need, I need, a, I'm a dog that needs a bone kind of thing. I need something to go, <laughs> so, something to go at. I remember just sitting there at like, maybe about 19 or something. And I was like, I remember just calling him and saying, hey, I remember like, you always used to talk to me about boxing and stuff. I like, I fancy giving it a go. Like, where are you? Can I come up training? He was like, yeah, of course. Like, come in, um, come to a session, just see what you feel and whatever else. And I went up and I loved it, to be honest. It was one of those, I always say to people like this, they always say, like, oh, how did you get into it? I just see, I say like, it seems like one day I just like went into the gym and then that was it. I never left. Like, I was there every day training. I was there as much as I could. I was sparring every time I could. Like, even on the first day, I was like proper hounding. I was like, can I spar someone? Can I, can I just <laughs> jump in? He was like, all right, if you want, who, you, who do you want to spar? And I was looking around, me being me, being a knob, I was looking around going, uh, yeah, I love him. He's, and I picked the biggest geezer I could find just because I thought like, if I can test myself against someone decent, I'll see, before I even get started, see if I actually want to do this. But don't get me wrong, he absolutely kicked me around the ring. But I had a great time, loved it and just came straight back the next day. And then that's kind of how I fell into it. But that gym I was at was a white collar gym. When I joined the gym, it wasn't like I was like, right, I want to go down the ADA route. I want to do this. I want to win this main championships, titles, whatever. That wasn't the plan, basically. It was just 
I had a good job. I was working for a company in London doing recruitment. I was earning good money. I was commuting back and forth. And I was just doing this on the side because I always needed like that kind of sport fix, some sort of competition, whatever. And then it just kind of progressed more and more where I just fell more and more in love with it. I had a few white qualifieds. I had four in total. And I remember like at the end of the first one, I knocked the geese around the first round. And I remember just standing there, my hand raised and all my family and friends are there. Everyone's screaming your name and stuff. And I remember having like this quiet moment to myself of just like, yeah, okay, now this is, this is it. Like I've not, that buzz of getting your hand raised, everyone's screaming your name. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I've found it. I found my thing. Like this is me. And then from then on, I was just pretty much committed all the way through. Well, how long has white collar been around? Yeah, it's quite. It's, like it's, it's it wasn't quite new. It wasn't a thing when I was mm. when I was a kid, you mm. know. Um, and then for a little while, it was either like old retired fighters, you know, they were too old to get a license or even too old to be an amateur. So, mm. you know, there's been organisations that set up these really good, competitive, interesting mm. shows. That's great entertainment. And then there's people maybe like yourself who. They don't think boxing's their calling yet, but they, they get in the gym and they get hooked. Mm. We should say white-collar boxing, yeah. So the idea is generally, Fabian, you can you correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, it's like a 12-week camp or something. And mm. you don't usually have to pay for it. They provide the training. You get matched appropriately with someone else in that cohort. And then everyone sells their tickets. And obviously, all your mates come. So that's where they get mm. paid. And you get to experience boxing. And that's clearly an allure to that. But you, then you don't have to go to an amateur club. Because now, in amateur club, you can't spar until you have a card and a lot of people don't know if they even want to do that mm. so you can see why it's accessible you see why people might decide to do that and prefer to do that and there's money in it for the clubs because mm. they get the ticket money which is crucial isn't it it's easy in easy out kind of thing and there's quite a lot of turnover as well in terms of because i've been in my gym now for seven eight years and i've you see people that come they do it the first time like me and then they love it and then i see them there at the gym every week now and then you see people that just come for the 12 week just they just want to experience what it's like to commit yourself to something have exercise focus get stuck in really sucked into something have that because that having a fight thing is such a weird like human instinct kind of thing like people sit there and wonder about it like how would i react they all think oh yeah i'll do this i'll do that but then you get in there and i've seen so many people crumble so many people just gas in the first 30 seconds and then i've seen people who i thought like i don't know how well you're going to do it i was a bit like hesitant about them and then they get in there and they turn into like a white collar version of like muhammad ali or something like they're flying around the ring and i'm like you know what like you've done well there <laughs> so there's so much up and down to it it's definitely something i experienced a lot but white collar does have its kind of you say white collar and there's a bit of a especially to your old school boxing heads at least there's a bit of a like a side eye of like oh okay you're just you just come in off the street and thought you could swing some punches kind of thing and don't get me wrong there is that kind of section to it but at least for the most part from where i came from i never experienced anything bad like that and any horrific matching or anything like that at all it was always very clean cut it was just that white collar was the most accessible thing to me at the time hence why i fell into it because lots of things fall under the white collar umbrella i know there's promoters that put on white collar shows and then they just get fighters from all over the place yeah. mm. sometimes it could be a corporate thing where you can have like one company versus another company and then <laughs> they convince a bunch of their staff that right you're going to go into a 12 week camp and then you're going to fight such and such across the way charity shows that come under that umbrella yeah. but I think if it's not called white collar it's called unlicensed and unlicensed sounds a bit dangerous that's, yeah, that's always what gives it the, the uh, kind of the, the black smudge of like hang on this sounds <laughs> a bit dodgy a like, bit lock stock and two smoking yeah, bags exactly yeah. it sounds like you're going to be in a car park somewhere yeah. surrounded by some hay bales and just 
<laughs> jump Brad in. Pitt's not yeah, in yeah. So you didn't fight in a car park? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I wanted to, don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's the pinnacle of white collar, so that's where I wanted to go. <laughs> the end boss. That's, yeah. the, <laughs> that's the O2 arena of white collar boxing, is a car park with some hay bales around you. But I think I think it's an interesting, like, philosophical thing, isn't it? That we, the world we live in at the moment is a lot of fake stuff. You never know what's real mm. on Instagram, on social media, your job, and people just are still, humans just long for something real and get there's nothing real in getting punched in the face no not so like that's your route into it and you ain't got to go to a club for it you can just be like turn up maybe spa first day and then you just spend 12 weeks doing it and like you say then that's some people go that's what i need in my life and here you are so that, how, how old were you at that point so the first time i ever put on a pair of gloves i was 20 years old Ooh. Was you mixing with professional boxers before you decided to turn professional? I'm noticing that more and more where, like when I was a kid, amateurs are amateurs, pros are pros. Like you would, amateurs never went to the pro gym because it was too dangerous for them, mm. you know, or at the end of my career, we'd have amateurs come in and spar. They were, they were good enough to, and they, you know, so was you in the pro gyms at all before you decided to turn professional? Yeah. So mainly one, um, I was up in Norwich with Sam Sexton a lot, his coach Graham as well. So I was, I was up there with them and that's, uh, they were close by. They had a bit of a relationship with my gym and my coach anyway. So at the point, it was more so at the point where I got offered to go pro that we thought, okay, maybe let's just jump into these gyms and kind of see what we could do. And don't get me wrong, Sam used to punch me from pillar to post. Like <laughs> yeah. He used to send me around the ring. I could barely get through four rounds with him. They're some of the most like valuable rounds I ever did because I would like sometimes I'd be like, oh, really? like I'd wake up and we'd go like we'd have sparring the next day and I'd be like, oh, really? like in my head at least I'd be like I really don't want to do this like <laughs> I'm gonna get absolutely like battered and credit to Sam he was never he never took the piss with it he never like actually hurt me he was just levels and levels above me I just couldn't maintain the pace I couldn't deal with his size I he was obviously his boxing IQ was massively bigger than mine like I just didn't know what I was doing in these situations but those those kind of rounds and, and pushing myself through those really hard moments are what kind of I didn't I want not to say I I guess I did skip a few levels but what helped me kind of catch up a bit to some of those boys in the pros that had been sparring or training at least been in boxing since they were early teens 10 12 whatever I've been able to catch them up because I jumped in that in them pro gyms really early just from the the first off and just went back and went back and went back and got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and built on it because I realized from early on that I was like levels behind some of these guys so I was like well the only way I can catch them up now is to jump in sparring so I would like just go see Sam as much as possible and then as things progressed, I was about a year or so in, I started sparring a few more bigger names like Derek Tesora, things like that, Dillian White, and kind of just slowly, I think I almost built a bit of a name for myself as just being the guy that would like turn up whenever and whenever you needed him. Kind <laughs> of reliable, like yeah. I was just the one, because I always thought like, especially when I was early on, I was like, well, I just need to take any and every opportunity. Mm. I remember the first time I heard your name, Fabio, was when, I think Dave Allen on Instagram, someone, had, you know, he does like the Q&As on Instagram. Mm. Someone had said, who's the best young heavyweight in the country and he said you based on, i think he'd sparred you with dillian maybe <laughs> remember that yeah i did some rounds with dill i think i did five or six or whatever and then dave was like oh i'll, I'll jump in and spy you but he only did one round he only wanted to do the one round and i was like 
you're just scouting me out. Like I know what you're doing. <laughs> like I know that like, no one. I've I've sparred for a good few years now. No one's ever jumped in and gone. Oh, I'll do one round of you ever. So yeah. I, I, I'm quite surprised he came up with that because all I did was just tuck and sit on the ropes for like three quarters of the round because I was like, no one's no one ever does one round. I know what you're trying to scout me out for. You're trying to see me coming in a year or so and see what you can get from it. So you had four fights, four white collar fights, mm. and turned over. So I had four white collar fights. I won them all by knockout, three in the first round, and then one in the second. And in one of the fights, the guy I was going up against was he was about 14, 15 and 0 in white collar boxing. And I was on my third fight, maybe. Um it was going around that he was gonna get he was gonna turn over after he beat me, basically. But I ended up knocking him out in the first round. So then kind of eyes turned to me, like, oh hang on. If he's doing that, then what can we do with him kind of thing? And then I was very young and naive. Like, I didn't know anything. And I remember that whole situation of, like, knocking that guy, guy out and buzzing and whatever. And then I got home. And then um next day or, like, Sunday night, we had the show on the Saturday. And then on Sunday night, I'm getting ready for work or whatever. And I get a call from the guy that owns my gym, like, Matt, a good friend of mine, good member of the team. And he um he calls me and goes, Fab, I've had a call, call from a guy. He wants to um turn you pro, turn you over. And I'm like, oh, fuck shut up mate like uh-huh. it's at nine at night like good one try again like i'm fucking i'm going to bed mate i've got shit to do tomorrow he's like no 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 seriously like someone's gonna call you and they want to like speak to you and want to meet you and actually want to ding you and i was like oh shit like fucking okay and then like i said someone called me about an hour later wanted to speak to me wanted to meet me and stuff and i went through all of that process but they ended up being for lack of a better word fucking useless so that didn't work out for for about a year and a bit while i was just training trying to fight so i had my pro debut cancelled and rescheduled maybe at least six or seven times and there was a few moments in those where i was like is this even fucking worth it like i could just go back to a normal job and decent wedge of money like i'm gonna be doing this to be honest but Moved on to a different manager who I got about four or so fights out of. And then the same thing started to happen. Basically, like loads of his shows would just fall through and I was just left waiting loads of time. So then I had to um, basically get myself out of the contract. Just a shitty couple of years with it, like not being great. Still obviously enthusiastic, wanting to do it, loving it and stuff, but just not being able to really get into a proper stride with it. But then things changed and I got myself out of that contract. And at this point, I'd built a bit of a relationship in the industry with a few different people. And if you kind of just got to know boxing as a whole, how the setup works, professional boxing, things a bit more. And I was a bit more switched on with stuff and got to understand kind of how everything works and then got myself into obviously a fantastic contract with Dylan White on the initial and then off the back of that with Matchroom. What was the genesis of the Dylan White thing? So the sparring came first, presumably you've been... So yeah, um, how, yeah, it was that, but it was pretty much like that. It was it was sparring based initially, but like I say, I developed this bit of a kind of reputation of just being the go-to guy. If you need rounds, I'll, I'll turn up, I'll be there. And I helped Dylan out on a few occasions with that. And then when he was fighting Joseph Parker, I was in the camp for the whole time. So I was around him a lot and we got to build a, quite a good relationship as well. And I got to just like talk to him normally and just chat to him and he'd always actually be quite like interested and caring about what I was doing and how my career's going because he was always very like you're good like you can do well like there's a lot of opportunity for you here you need to just kind of get on the move and I'm like yeah I'm trying but fucking managers doing this and that and I'm not fighting I am fighting blah 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 so he kind of knew the situations and things I was in and circumstances I was going through and stuff because I'd been sparring him for maybe two two or so years on the trot really in different occasions and whatever so he'd kind of get to see that oh, i'd fight and then he'd be like, oh so when you're out next and i'd be like oh i got cancelled and blah 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 and then i would fight and then he'd call me and be like oh how did you get on how did it go like so i could tell that he was genuinely interested even before he had anything to do with me and he sort of, sort of like vested interest in me i just called him and just said look like because i wasn't I, I didn't know he was taking on fight 
as he was managing fights or anything like that at all. I just knew that he'd had an initially he had had a bit of a rough time with it as well. So I called him just on like on a like late evening and I just said, Look, like I've just got myself out of the contract with that manager. Obviously, you know what's been going on, blah, blah, blah. I just literally I'm just calling you just to see if you can give me any advice on who to sign with next or who to get as a manager next who'd be good because I've gone two for two now and they've both been pretty shit like I'm trying third time's the charm kind of thing I'm trying to find a decent one so I'm just looking for a bit of advice we had a conversation for maybe 15 20 minutes about different managers who's good who's not other experiences blah 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 out of nowhere he just goes actually hang on and and hangs up the phone on me I'm like huh what what's what's going on and then um he calls me back maybe about five ten minutes later and goes actually you know what fuck all that come sign with me i'll look after you i'll make sure you're looked after properly we'll do this properly i'll make sure you're consistent like i'll make sure everything's all well and good pretty much as simple as that like i went to go see him maybe three or four days later signed the contracts then within i don't know about an hour because he's in he was in loughborough again tried to drive to him have a little chat sign the management contract blah 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 drive home and then about an hour on the drive home I get a call from Sky Sports saying like oh Dills give us your details you're just on with him we want to do a piece on you and I'm like shit like everything's kicking off I'm like, I've been here 30 seconds what the fuck like I've got Sky on the phone like I'm losing it in the car and like my team's in there and I'm like everyone keep quiet like what trying that professional <laughs> I'm like it's all like coming to me so quickly and I was like this is mental and then it literally from that moment onwards it was just a roller coaster ever since he lived up to every bit of word he said he would he's over delivered in so many situations like aside from how pe- a lot of people maybe see him boxing related when he can have his moments and whatever else but he's one of the most genuine hearted people in boxing I've ever ever come across when you were boxing in fact right around the frotch fights you got your manager's license signed Swindon legend Luke Duke Watkins as well didn't you so you know what goes into that fighting and managing someone else yeah well you know became self-managed at that point because that was the right move for me um, and I'd been a, a pro long enough that I could apply for my manager's license uh, to the board and they, they you know you go in you sit down and they ask you a few questions and there's questions that no one knows the answer to or you give an answer <laughs> and they're like it's not brown it's maroon you're like okay uh-huh, yeah, you know what I mean? that makes any difference don't <laughs> it fucking hell uh, yeah so uh, and I was training with this chap Paddy uh, Paddy Fitzpatrick for Swindon he ran a, a great little Swindon outlet amateur boxing club and a bunch of his fighters wanted to turn pro like yourself where you get messed about when you turn over you mm. sign the wrong person it's right that you do have to turn pro with a manager because you can't otherwise everyone's going to be signing over yeah. but at the same time if you don't know a boxing manager or someone who you know and trust then it is a bit of a punt and a leap of faith and you know that's a 34 form document or whatever it's called from the British Boxing Board of Control which is usually for three years standard percentage that you'll sign away is like 25% and sometimes it's just a signature down and you might never even meet the manager so I said look like uh, Paddy if you want to technically split the management I'll put in some calls and try and help him because I was high profile at the time maybe much like Dill can do you know I'll put my squiggle my little name on the on the thing and yeah we'll sign them up and then as a bit of exposure for them to be honest I didn't have an awful lot to do with his his career after that and then when I separated from from Paddy I gave his management contract back Mm. Uh, and that's kind of how the boxing world works you Mm. you realize that you know well if Dillian White's fighting on a on a DAZN show with Matram most of the fighters he signs are yeah. going to end up fighting on his own matrim, you know. So open stores, yeah, open stores, yeah. What was your first fight with Dylan as your manager? So before, like I signed him and things, I just got back from Ukraine. I did my first ever like away sparring camp with Alexander Usyk, and I just got first back. of all, tell us how that came about. So this was in preparation for his Tony Belly fight. So I didn't. So I knew about the fight and everything, but I had no con- like contact with his team. I had no 
nothing. So I get this kind of random Facebook message from a guy named Vlad just saying, but it was like broken English as well. It was like, hi, Mr. Fabio, come want to spar in Ukraine, Alexander Rusik for four weeks. We pay, something like that. I was like, I almost just didn't deleted ask, it. They didn't ask you credit card number. No, 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 no. That's where I'd have drawn the line. <laughs> but like, I, I, it was one of those times where I was like, this is fucking bullshit. Like someone's trying to almost like play a prank on me, like a joke. I almost just deleted it straight away. But there was something in my head going, let's just see, just have a look. So I was like, right, well, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to give it to um, Matt, the guy. He's like my unofficial manager, basically, like little wide bits of, that I need assistance with. He'll help me with the guy who runs the gym. Sent him a screenshot and I said, look, this kind of looks a bit dodged, but maybe just have a word see about it see what they're saying see if, if it is anything great if it's not whatever but it actually turned out to be genuine um they wanted me over there for sparring for a month to help him get ready for tony bellew so so this is the this is kind of like the turning point i say that well it was the turning point these those kind of like next two three months are like the real big turning point in my career because obviously he wanted me for a month and i was still working a job at the time so i said to him like i'm gonna need a month off and they were like we can't give it to you and i was like well see you later then i'm off i've got to go so that was kind of the second point where I was like, I guess we're all in then because <laughs> if this doesn't work out, then I've got fuck all money, basically. Like I had a few sponsors and things that were helping me out, but I was like, if this, if my career doesn't really do anything, if I don't start fighting a lot, like really consistently and stuff, I'm shit out of luck. But I just thought, fuck it, jump. Like, you might as well give it a go. Like I flew to Ukraine within about five days and it was quite funny to be fair because in like the few days building up, I was looking in more into Usyk and like he'd won the Super Series and... I thought like, oh, this is going to be mental. Like, it's going to be like cameras everywhere and like it'll probably pick me up in like a limo and shit. Like I'm like new to it. I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> I'm just like seeing all of this and I'm like seeing where he's trained before and bits and bobs and who he's for. And I'm like, fucking hell, like, I'm going to be at, like this state-of-the-art facility doing this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I turn up and I'd like land in Ukraine and I've got my bag and that. And I just there's a guy stood there with a sign that says my name. And I say like, oh yeah, that's me. And he's just like grunts and nods his head like, mm. and I'm like, all right, cool, no worries. And like the geezer doesn't speak a lick of English. So then I think like, I'm looking around for like this nice big like Benz, nice car, whatever. No, I'm in the back of some like rusty old van with when all the windows are blacked out. Like my seat buckle barely like holds in place. Like I was like, there's holes in the seat next to me and stuff like this. And I'm like, okay, like I'm just a lonely man, just hopped on a plane in the middle of Ukraine. Like I could be after a Facebook message. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. yeah, I've responded to a Facebook message. This geezer could be taking me absolutely anywhere, like whatever. But after that initial, took me to the hotel. Great from there, really. Like I still didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't met anyone in terms of Usyk and his team or whatever. I just literally met this driver. And he literally was just like, here tomorrow, like 4 p.m., something like that. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and the next day came and I'd meet Usyk and his team and sparring for the first time and stuff. And like him and his whole team couldn't be more accommodating, especially him as well. Like they're all really nice. Like after sparring and stuff, we all went and had dinner together, sat and ate. And after I'd done all that, done the sparring, got home and stuff, that's when I made the call to deal because I was sorting things out while I was over there getting myself out of the contracts um so then i called deal signed with deal and then about a week after signing him he was like are you fit are you ready to go and i was like yeah i've just been like for four weeks with um Usyk. like i'm good i'm ready to go he was like all right cool you'll fight in um december on my undercard and this was white jazora 2 and i was like oh, okay and he was like it's at the o2 and i was like oh, okay yeah no worries <laughs> like again same thing like everything was just coming at me like a whirlwind but like i was obviously absolutely buzzing i was i was loving it um so that's when i had my first ever 
ever fight under him was was at the O2. Like I had my debut with him at the O2, and I remember like being at like the beginning of my career, thinking like, oh, if I could ever get to the O2, like just maybe just once, like maybe if I just end my career just one time at the O2, just like a big fight, whatever, and that'd be the pinnacle at the top. It that'd be great. And then literally, I'd, I've probably the O2 arena is the place I fought at the most now. Like it's boring. It's meant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking sick of it, mate. It's Give like, me somewhere else. White, can you get us on at yeah, the MGM Grand? Give me like something, mate. MSG, something. I'm fucking <laughs> bored this O2 now. I've done it. Steep learning curve for most heavyweights, mm. but I don't think anyone can top like that. Yeah. Four white collar fights. Yeah, four white collar fights. You're in, and then you have to drag your feet for a little while, and then they go, right, you're on the undercards at the O2 mm. Sky. So it's, it is exciting, isn't it? Like, it must be so exciting. For the first maybe three or four shows, whenever um, I was sat obviously doing a press conference, whenever I'd hear even Eddie Hearn say my name, I'd like get a little giggle. I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm a little kid, like, oh God, I can't believe like Eddie Hearn's like talking about me. Like, and I'm sat there trying to like also like sit normal at professional, like, yeah, yeah, yeah like be really like stoic. You got to look hard, didn't you? Yeah, 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 kind of like looking like a real professional or whatever. And then, but then I'm like, so, and then he like, Eddie's like, oh yeah, so Fabio Wardley, uh, unbeaten prospect coming through scientists and I'm like <laughs> like a little like 12 year old kid like giggling to myself because I'm like I'm still in this disbelief of like I can't believe I'm fucking here like I always say to people like I've gone from being on one side of the TV to the other you've had to redefine your ceiling then haven't you yeah. your ambitions and goals what are they now yeah massively like it's like I say when I came into it the, the ceiling was the ceiling was low because I wasn't I had no kind of way in I was figuring it all out but now I've I've seen the landscape and especially being with Dill as well he's almost laid a path to go I've done it and I can, I've done it from a certain background and a certain kind of come up and I've gripped my way through it and and that's a path for you to take you can do what I've done and that's definitely something he kind of puts on to me and other people and stuff like a lot of us and the fighters and stuff we don't he doesn't put us in easy fights like I was fighting Eric Molina in like mm. my 10th fight or something like that just because he's like don't get me wrong it's all fun and games banging people out for a round or two and, and whatever else but you need to learn especially me as well because I skipped a lot of that early kind of learning stage so he puts me through those those harder things so I've seen the the top level the higher levels now and gone actually yeah well, I can I can get a hold of them like I can do them so the British title which, which I've obviously got coming up is something I've been hunting for for a little bit of time now for a year or two so that's kind of the most recent target for me to aim of and then after that it's, it's moving on to kind of just on the fringe world level of just getting into those top tier with them people so I'm not too far away from grabbing hold of a world title or at least getting my shot at one after that kind of tick off those those next box or two and, and your style hands down a lot of the time unorthodox in many ways mm. do you think that's come from the fact that there you didn't do 10 years as an amateur and you you were like this is going to work for me and this is what I'm going to develop don't get me wrong my coach implemented a lot of kind of those things in me and taught me how to do certain things but I always felt more comfortable putting my own I say flair or whatever but not not so much flair but just my own kind of spin on it my own kind of feeling on certain things because I was fortunate enough to have certain amount of athleticism just general kind of speed and skill and whatever else that would help me in certain situations doing certain things and that's got me through a certain point in my career so that's where a lot of those kind of that earlier style came from and I'm now moving slowly into kind of morphing that with a more structured style because I'm moving into obviously a higher level of opponents with with a brighter IQ in the ring and stuff who can figure out little things that maybe I could get away with earlier on because I was against a lower class of opponent and they weren't smart and I was a bit quicker, a bit faster, a bit stronger, whatever else. But I'll be coming up against good, like Nathan Gorman, for example, 
smart boxer so I'm gonna have to figure out certain things hence why I've now got my coaching split between my coach I've had since I started Robert Hodgins and half and half with Ben Davison as well who's now able to not take anything away from my initial style in terms of athleticism a bit unorthodox shooting from different places leading with different shots and things like that but also bringing me back to a solid foundation and base and having good fundamentals to fall back on or use in circumstances where my initial style isn't working I always wondered because I couldn't do it like split have two trainers basically mm. was be worried that one would be telling one against you know the other mm -hmm. you spend a whole session stepping around to the left and then he comes and says no no you step around to the right <laughs> have you come across that yet no you come no, back no. to the gym and <laughs> you've, been, you've had the weekend with Ben and then you get back he's to like, Ipswich he's gone no no don't, don't be doing any of that shit <laughs> I don't want to see that in here anymore <laughs> no I have to give a um, massive amount of credit to my coach because he's he's humble enough to go but like, I've taken Fab to like really far in his career but there are things I don't know or there are certain little things that someone else could offer a different insight to that will help us and help us develop and not just me as a boxer but him as a coach as well he can learn so when I go and train with Ben he comes as well so we do it as a trio as opposed to I'm over here for a bit of time and then I'm over there for a bit of time it's not we keep it all together so we don't run into those problems plus you do your sparring some of the best guys in the world you learn so much from sparring mm. you've done four weeks away with music where it's daunting going away and sparring anyway so that'll toughen you up mm. you know you're just a different country you're in a shitty old van the yeah. guy does see you tomorrow yeah. at four o'clock it's like that's 24 hours away <laughs> what do you want me to do what like, am I doing now I just sit in my room staring yeah. at the walls like what's the Wi-Fi? we don't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no, we've got no 3G <laughs> they've they got Connect 4 in the corner yeah. you've got to play it on your own you're like oh, thanks man um, obviously having another heavyweight fighter active fighter as your mentor and, and manager has that got awkward yet can you come and spar so and so who's fighting white and, and then yeah. Is White saying, go and tell me everything that happened? Mm. <laughs> or if you go, could you just like, um, just be really shit? And <laughs> <laughs> not helpful. No, the funny one I've had um, was Povetkin the first time. I had his team contact me for sparring and I it was again it was, was it Vlad again who sent a Facebook yeah, it was, message um, no it was it was, on Bebo, it was Maxim another member of his uh, of Vivekan's team a bit random I get a, a random email from again a bit of a random kind of Russian email address so I'm a bit like oh fuck no here we go same thing just saying look would you come to Russia more pay etc blah 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 and I had to write back and I was like yeah great thanks for thinking of me thanks for the opportunity but there was my manager speak to my manager yeah, did you not realise yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah put it <laughs> put it through, through the manager here's his email address here's his, here's his Twitter <laughs> have a chat with him see what he says um, but nah and they were like oh they were basically like oh shit we didn't realise that he manages fighters or he was your manager so um, mm. sorry don't worry about it it's cool this is a bit where you say to Dylan I'm really sorry mate but I'm going to have to turn down you know a thousand euros a week yeah yeah, yeah. so if you could just uh, you know supplement me <laughs> sort me out uh, how about we just do 20% the next yeah. time yeah we just uh, edge it off he, he was a big sparrer as well wasn't he when he was sort of at your age or your level when he first he, I remember he would always turn up and spar Chisora and mm. David Hay and there's stories about him sparring everyone going yeah. to go into Stanglevert and sparring Klitschko and yeah same thing mm. yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's told me a lot of them stories but it, the same thing he knows that that's where you 
you get a crucial amount of experience. Like, it's all good working on stuff in the gym and maybe sparring the local guys to you, boys from your gym, like you say, upcoming amateurs, things like that and stuff. But for the most part, if you're of a certain level, you can get through these people relatively comfortably. You haven't got to really stretch yourself or you're not massively learning anything new. Whereas when I'm going to spar Tyson Fury, Usyk, AJ and stuff, my brain's working at... 100% if I'm sorry on Usyk it's working at about 250% but I'm really having to stay switched on be focused know what's going on pay attention to everything and then I can use that information for myself later down the line mm. who's the best at that like you sparred I'd always say Usyk just because I felt like with him I guess it's a bit skewed as well because I've sparred AJ and Fury as well but I haven't done so many rounds with them I only sparred them on a couple of occasions each whereas Usyk I've done two camps with him in Ukraine so I would say Usyk just because you have to be so switched on. Like, and I don't mean switched on in the sense that you, you have to obviously be switched on with a Fury and an AJ because they can literally spark your lights out in half a second with, with a clean hit. And not to say Usyk can't do that the same, but it's a different kind of, like Usyk can hit you with about eight different punches in about eight different places and you don't know what's going on. And then he's behind you and you're like, what the fuck's going on here, mate? Like, have a word. Like, so you have to be switched on to what he's doing, his movements, his head, his foot, his front hand where he's going, where he's not going. And he keeps such a relentless pace as well. So he's like just on you, on you. Like a lot of heavyweights, you can take little breathers where we have a go back and forth and then both of us step out and go, fucking hell, that's a bit, won't it? Just give me, give me a few seconds. We'll, we'll go back in a sec. And like you have that mutual thing. Whereas Usyk's like, I don't give a fuck if you're tired or not, mate. I'm, I'm on you. I'm in front of you always. I'm, I'm, I'm at an arm's reach at all times, basically. So he was probably the hardest I've ever sparred yet. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know what I'm going to ask you, George? No, what are you going to ask me, Jack? Got a feature? Yeah, we've got a feature. So each week we try and do a little feature. Mm. Got a jingle, George? Q jingle, shall we? Fabi O'Lordy. A heavyweight quiz of extremes, right? So, oh lord, oh lordy. Oh lordy, I can't believe the answer. <laughs> so I figured if you'd be up for it, we could have a little heavyweight quiz. I'm down, I'm down. Question number one. There once was a Canadian boxer who was the shortest heavyweight champion in history. His name was Tommy Burns. But how tall was he, Fabio? Was he five foot seven, five foot nine, or five foot eleven? Nine. He was five foot seven. Was Unbelievable. He? Five foot seven. Tommy and Burns. he made 13 defences. What? Legend. It wasn't just, yeah. But that was, they were smaller back then. Question number two. Who was the heaviest world champion in history? Oh, I can see him. Take your time. I can all see him. I see him every day. Pa uh, like I'll give you a clue. Well. Yeah. Fault David Hayes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that. It's not a clue. Um, I know. Oh, I really can't remember his name. I know Shut him. Shut the deck. I'll take Big it off your hands. Nikolai Valuev. Oh, Nikolai Valuev. Mm. He apparently weighed 328 pounds Ooh. when he fought Monty Barrett. I think that was the record. Mm. Right. Jesus. Number three. Like There was a fighter who had the most time between winning his world titles, mm. right? So he won his world title in such and such a date. 
and then he won another world title in the future and he was a heavyweight who had the biggest uh, yeah, I, if, biggest gap if you know it if I, is there a better a, way to a sort of proper shit explanation but is there a better way to yeah, ask I'm, the I'm question I'm putting this down to George's yeah, delivery here but that was delivery problem but it's I think the answer is George Foreman George Foreman who uh, won the world title in what 70 something oh and then when he, he won really it in 1973 yeah. and then he won it again 21 years later yeah, but he beat Michael uh, Moore yeah that was a big extreme yeah yep. big extreme number four mm. Right, who was the only heavyweight to retire undefeated? Nah. So oh. like Rocky Marcel, no? Rocky Marcel. 49-0. Oh. No? Only a little bloke as well. Yeah, another little one. Not big. Right, number five. Vlad again. Gogia. <laughs> Me too. Was the tallest man to have a professional fight. But how tall was he? <laughs> was he seven foot one, seven foot three, or seven foot eleven? Seven foot one. Say it again, say seven foot eleven. <laughs> He was seven foot eleven. Yes. Yes. He's on the score. Seven eleven. Was he? Eleven. Yeah. Was he? That's ridiculous, That's isn't yeah. it? Nuts. That's a big boy. I was thinking, like, how old, like seven foot eleven sounds ridiculous to be actually mechanically function yeah. to throw punches and like beer box I was thinking like this is almost like a trick question got yeah, knocked found, out by I Tommy Burns had a little look at him yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. number six right? yeah most consecutive world title defences give you a clue it was a long time ago pre Rocky Marciano I think I'm with you and I think I know he lost it there's a statue of him at Caesars Palace uh, it's gone. It's gone out of my head. I can't. I can't think of his name. I can picture his face again. Is he the one that got done for like the speeding ticket and then came back around and? No, that's Jack Johnson. Ah, uh, Jack Johnson. That's what I was going to say. Slightly later than that. Later. Floyd Patterson. No. Earlier. Oh. Uh, Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis. Oh, yeah. Joe Lewis. He's the one with the statue at Caesar's Palace. Yes. Number seven. Peter Mayer, who competed at middleweight and heavyweight, has the record for the most amount of first round knockouts. But how many was it? Was it thirty, forty, or fifty? Oh, fifty! Uh, it was fifty. Was it? Oh. It was fifty. Oh, Peter Mayer, fifty not out. <laughs> Number eight, <laughs> longest uninterrupted <laughs> reign as world champion. Oh fuck! Right? He was f- sort of from Joe Louis' era. Got any statues? He's got a statue at Caesar's Palace. Joe Louis? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the <laughs> same question oh, twice. Yeah, See no, what happens when we leave George just, in charge. I need to double check because I thought it was about 13 years, but... Uh, 11 years, 10 months. Someone another thought. said 11, 11 years, 10 months, but can you imagine being world champion for 11 years and 10 11. months? Boring. I managed, I managed like less than a year. That was, that was dusty by then. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of it. Number nine. Uh, most times as undisputed heavyweight champion. So who won the who world really won it? and became undisputed the most amount of times? Why is everyone's name? I tell you what, I reckon, it, I think there's a clip. The undisputed is the key bit. Yeah, it's undisputed is the key bit. So it can't, it wouldn't be recent because it's hard to become undisputed recently. So we're going back a while. I'll give you one clue. He, he was really good. <laughs> He could, arguably could have been the greatest. Muhammad Ali. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he became undisputed <laughs> champion. He beaten Liston. Three times. Beaten Foreman and Spinks. Mm. So I didn't know about the Spinks one was undisputed, but it must have been. Yeah. Number 10. Just La- the last one. Ten, last one. Yeah. Mm. Fuck for that. Who was the only boxer in history to start his career at light middleweight but go on to win a heavyweight world title? Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. Strong finish Woo. from Fabio. Easy. Fabio, I was going to go win as well. I got that one because yeah. Roy Jones is like my guy coming up. Yeah. So there that's, you go. That's Fabio one. Lordy. Fabio Lordy. <laughs> Completed. Completed. <laughs> Fabio Lordy.
Did you keep score? Doesn't matter. You start. Nah, I like he, he got about eleven out of I ten. Was, there, mate. I think it was eleven. He got, solid. He got a couple of bonus solid. points. Um, so that's a big win for you, Fab. And just in time, you know, you've taken that momentum into biggest fight of your career so far. Mm, big one. Definitely. Big one. There's been sort of building, and you alluded to that building up. You're knocking people out, steadily growing towards. But Nathan Gorman, British title is proper serious business now. Yeah, massively. Me, Nathan Gorman, British heavyweight title, 26th of November. I've been on the hunt for that belt for a long time. Um, I won the English a little while ago now and I've had that and I've, I won it, defended it. I feel like that's ticked off. That's done really. So the British title has been my aim for a while. Like I say, Nathan's a good competitor, someone good to get in the ring with and a good good kind of scalp to have on your record. So I can tick that one off and really kind of say, yeah, no, I've taken on a real, a real solid competitor there with no excuses, full camp for the pair of us and just may the best man win. So how would you go about sparring? Are you are you calling um, your manager? Dylan saying, come down, give us a few rounds for, <laughs> uh, for Gorman. Can you mimic his style? Or maybe you're looking at cruiserweights, like sort of maybe larger cruiserweights rather than the big, big heavyweights? Um, he's still, like, I've so I've sparred Nathan quite a few times. I was in his camp helping him get ready when he was fighting for the British title the first time against Daniel Dubois. Mm. So I was with him for about a month. So I'm relatively familiar with him. Now, don't get me wrong. That was two plus years ago, maybe even three now. So both of us have developed massively as fighters since then. In terms of the gauge, we're quite similar through and through. Like height-wise, I might be an inch taller than him, but not not massive. Reach-wise, again, I think we're about the same. The only thing, he carries a lot more excess weight than I do. I'm relatively trim for heavyweight. He kind of has that Tyson Fury-esque body shape where there's obviously a boxer under there, but on top, you look like you've just rolled out of the pub kind of thing. He's just one of those. But that's not to take away from his his skill or... Can we call his, that trash talk? No. <laughs> yeah, the trash It's just an observation. <laughs> it's just an observation. <laughs> How did he come out of the pub? <laughs> what did it say? Did he roll out of the pub? Which, he said roll which, it. Which yeah. us? <laughs> These two with their spoons out. Um, <laughs> nah, he'd like, he'd like I say, that's just how he's built. Um, so he does carry a bit of ex- extra weight, which means maybe he'll try and lean on me, try and use that in the fight, try and soak up some some extra damage or whatever else. But in terms of building self around this, I'm not really too concerned about his like the way he's physically built. It's more so about the way he fights for me. Now, every time we've, well, actually we're getting better, but we usually forget to ask our guests, but the idea is every guest we have puts a song on the playlist. Okay. This could be anything you want. There'll be a song now in your head going, that's my, that's my song. What's your song you're going to stick on this playlist? Mine's Roy Jones Jr. Can't Be Touched. Yes. That's mine. No, I can't believe it. It's not in there already, no, is it? It's absolutely not. I wondered this as well. I was thinking, that's what a, if I pick a song that's already in there? Yeah, well, we'd, we'd probably lie to you and say it's not, but it definitely <laughs> isn't in, which is great. And you know, it's funny actually, Fabio, did you see him performing it when he got inducted to the... Yeah. Uh, how good was that? Yeah, still on great. On stage and still he great. Did, done the rap. Still great. Yeah, and that is proper boxing song. It's shameful it wasn't in there already. Mm, disappointed to be honest. So that's... that's sensational edition well anyway we've probably got listeners who are doing a bit of white collar they were going to listen to this and be like inspired a fucking root yeah mm. proper inspired mm. can't say fairer than that nice one fab cheers boys thank you how about that then deck that was that was very good with big fab and a big fight this weekend for him. Is it a step up for him? It should be, I think. I mean, he's, he's stepping up to British title level. Um, Gorman's been there. Gorman's been in a couple of other big fights. So uh, now he's going to have to show up and perform. So uh, we're wishing him well. Mm. Wishing both the well, fight as well. Let's uh, let's hope he performs better in that than he did in the feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Fabio Lordi. Deck, as always, you can reach us though on our socials at GG Boxing Club on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. We've got a TikTok account. Yeah. Which is the that, same. That was yep. popping off, wasn't it? On, after the Froch with Froch on there. Oh, yes. Running his gums. Yeah. I mean, there's a 4,000% height. Yeah. In, the, in our TikTok followers. Big in the TikTok game. Yeah. We are, we're, we're TikToking our way through yeah, this. And do you know why? Because I used <laughs> Froch actually brought this up the other day. I used to inbox him on Twitter. TikTok. Seven weeks to go. TikTok. Five Did weeks you? to go. Yeah. Before the second fight and then he blocked me <laughs> so I'd actually predicted uh, TikTok <laughs> we're still, we're still doing the old forget TikTok as well for, for a minute we're still doing the old way you can still email us I'm strong on the email front, yeah I bet though. you are ggboxingclub yeah. at crowdnetwork.co.uk send us all your emails we see them all uh, and if you want another boxing podcast to listen to you've got to check out Macklin's Take each week commentator and pundit Andy Clark everyone loves Andy Clark alongside the three time world title challenger Matt Macklin take a deep dive into the fight game with topical debate big name guests and boxing insiders they'll bring you all of that just search for Macklin's take in your podcast app now Deck we are back next week next Wednesday who have we got? we've got none other than Ellie Scottney yes another Shane McGuigan another fighter Shane McGuigan fighter she's in we peeled away we got her in here we're going to hear about uh, yeah life, life as a pro fighter mm. also Deck though uh oh it's not a two-pod week, is it's it? It's a two-pod week, <laughs> Yes. We've got a bonus content coming out. Tell us about it. We've got Monday, Matt Christie, the boxing news editor, is here to tell us all about how they managed to get a magazine out every week and also his thoughts on the state of boxing and what has been a quite strange year for the sport. So, two-pod week. Yes, Deck. And we will be giving our thoughts and feelings on the big heavyweight clash coming. Tyson yep. Fury, Derek Chisora. How we think that's going to go down. Mm. So yeah, we'll have a little preview of that fight, and we go straight to Matt Christie and listen to his his boxing news knowledge. Mm. Big week, can't wait. Mm.